And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The U. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge, surge. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge, surge. It's a cane thing when we walk through. With the U ain't no bark, dude. Straight dog when we bring the fight. Ain't scared of no bright. All right, welcome back to a new episode of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Manny Navarro, beat writer for The Athletic, who covers the Miami Hurricanes, among other things. And uh, today we are doing an emergency podcast. It's Saturday, day after Christmas, about 1.45 p.m. And uh, I've got two guests with me today. One of them uh, you've heard many, many times here on the show. Uh, three-time national champion at the University of Miami, Kelvin Harris. Um, starting center for Gino Toretta on the uh, 91 championship team at Miami. And was there in 92 as well. And, and got himself three rings. You've heard from Kelvin a ton. And then... Today, I'm going to bring on somebody we haven't had on here enough, uh, who was co-hosting with me at Onside Radio, Carlos Ledo, who uh, is a diehard Miami Hurricanes fan. I I met Carlos many, many years ago when I used to record a TV show uh, with Leon Searcy uh, over at uh, for CBS. And he's uh, he's a diehard cane and co-hosted with me over at Onside Radio for uh, many, many times. And uh, so, guys, welcome. uh, Welcome to this emergency podcast. Hey, what's going on? I'm good. glad to be on here, man. And uh, although I don't have Kelvin's credentials, I am a three-time wing-eating champion. I'd like to say that. <laughs> so not a national champion, but I can put down some flats and some drumettes. Yes. <laughs> um, we're obviously doing this because of the news related to uh, Derek King that came out a little while ago. Derek announcing um, on social media with a, with a video that the University of Miami put out that he's going to run it back in 2021, which is really good news for the Hurricanes, um, knowing what kind of season they had this year with Derek at quarterback going eight and two um, and and having an opportunity to bring him back and start the first game of the season, the very least against Alabama. Um, you know, when you go against the number one team in the country, it's always good to have what will be a sixth year senior in Derek King under center versus a uh, potentially a true freshman or redshirt freshman, or if Nikosi Perry happened to stick around uh, and win the job, it would have been him. So instead you got the guy who really did a good job leading the team this year, had the, the third best passer rating single season in Miami history. Only two other quarterbacks uh, were better than him. Vinny Testaverde when he won the Heisman in 86 and Ken Dorsey in 2000 uh, when he put up some ridiculous numbers in Miami, got denied a chance to play for the national championship. So that's the kind of season you got out of the Eric King this year. 22 touchdowns, five interceptions, over 2,500 yards passing, 63% completion percentage. Just a really excellent season from him. And I want to I want to start first with Carlos, because from the fan perspective, I we're going to get the insights from, from Kelvin. And, and I know you've reached out to him. Uh, and talk to, to, to Derek in the past, Kelvin. But I want to get Carlos's reaction because, you know, from a Miami fan perspective, this year was really exciting. 
uh, to see the team win. But then you end the season with that loss to NC to, to North Carolina, and everybody's kind of, oh man, we get this is going to be bad next year. Derek's going to leave. There's going to be all these problems. How does this, Carlos? I guess from your perspective, change the way we look at 2021. I think this changes the whole mindset about the end of the season, right? I mean, I think Manny Diaz does it once again. He did it last year following that embarrassing loss, Louisiana Tech in the bowl game, followed uh, previously by the lost FIU, which was the worst loss in program history, and then turned around in the offseason by firing Dan Enos, hiring Rep Bashley, getting a new offensive uh, line coach in Garen Justice, bringing in Rob Likens as a new receivers coach, then getting De'Ara King in the transfer portal, portal along with Jared Williams. And then sort of changing the vibe uh, of the team going into the season. Now there was hope. There was optimism because of what he had done in the transfer portal and the offseason moves with the coaching staff. And I think he's done the same thing now. And I think they were talking about it before, even during the recruiting process, before signing day, that their number one recruit on the board wasn't Jake Garcia. It wasn't, you know, any of the other guys like Leonard Taylor. It was really De'Ara King to bring him back for another season to have a shot at being relevant again and taking that next step. And he's done it. He's changed the feeling around the program again, at least to me, with De'Ara King coming back, because now you know you have a shot to be better. And if some guys decide to stay like a Mike Harley and other, and maybe a bubble Bolden, I think it would be wise to stay and you get these guys back for another year and maybe pick up a couple guys here and there in the portal, like a middle linebacker and a corner on defense, you feel really good about what's going to happen next season. Because let's be honest, without De'Ara King, this team is not eight and two, right? No, not at all. And Calvin, I'm going to get to you in a second, but I, I wanted to share, I, I talked to, Derek's brother this morning and I, I wrote a little blurb here for the athletic. Uh, we're going to hear from Derek King around three 4 o'clock today. Miami's doing some, some press uh, before the bowl game. And so Derek's one of the guys who's going to talk, but I got a chance to talk to his brother, Kashan, his older brother. And basically I wanted to know, well, what, what made him want to come back? And I know you have some insights, Kelvin, you want to share, but I'm going to get to them in a minute. Um, but this is what Kashan told me. Um, I asked him, I said, you know, how torn was he? Over this, he said he was very torn. He was 50 50 for several weeks. Um, and that uh, basically, you know, he just went with his gut, and his gut feeling was to come back and run it back with this team and and to give it a shot. And, you know, he said uh, when he talked to the NFL, um, that he got a little bit of feedback. It wasn't bad feedback, but um, not as good as he wanted it to be. And he wanted to come back in part to improve his draft stock because he really does want to play quarterback. And he also told me that. Um, you know, playing against Alabama to start next season, you know, certainly a big stage, something intriguing for him. But really the conversations with Coach Lashley and Coach Diaz, um, you know, talking about being a great team next year, that's something he wanted to be a part of. It certainly helps that name, image, and likeness, by the way, is also a possibility <laughs> that he can make a little bit of money off of that. So, you know, that's what his brother basically told me. But I know you've you've spoken to Derek in the past and had conversations with him because being an alum, you know, these guys often reach out to you and, and other guys to get advice and to talk about, you know, big decisions. Um, what can you share with us, um, you know, from, from what you gather? Well, about a month ago, you know, I talked to him on a regular basis. You know, I hit him, hit him up, DM him, you know, because I think I said this before, his father went to school at uh, a school, high school with uh, some of my closest friends in Houston. One of my closest friends in Houston, and then a guy that I played with in the World League, it's like his godfather, and who was a part of the Texas organization for 15 years. So when he decided to come here, uh, you know, Kind of unofficially, it was unspoken, you know, 
they kind of knew I'd look out for because they, you know, they know I'm a UM guy. And so I reached out to him. You know, I talked to him all through the season. And then, I don't know, about a month, a month and a half ago, one day he asked me, what do you think? About what? He said, you know, coming back. We talked about it once and then I gave him my opinion both ways. And then I just let it go. You know, I didn't, um, I didn't pressure him anymore. I gave my opinion. And I told him he, he told me what what he heard from um, what he heard from you know different people, and you know I just uh, let it go. I figured he'd make a decision um, that made sense for him. But I had a pretty good idea. I had a pretty good idea that he was going to stay. Yeah, I think once you ask that question, it, it automatically sort of lends yourself to, well, you're seriously considering this. And, and and you know, that's the majority of the feedback that I got, that a lot of the guys on offense have been considering coming back because they, they did make a drastic – Not just on offense. Yeah, well, obviously the two defensive guys, Quincy and, and Jalen, already announced they were going. But I, I meant a lot of those offensive guys, they do have some uh, some good relationships, certainly. And – well, I'll say this. Up until about three weeks ago, I'm pretty sure Jalen Phillips thought he was coming back to him. Mm-hmm. But he's strong. I, I mean, in my mind, and I think I told you this, I told you this from the beginning of the season, I thought that he could get drafted higher than Gregory Russo. Mm-hmm. You were right. I just did But it would depend on the stats because mm-hmm. – what people need to understand, when you're going to be a first-round draft pick, you have to have the physical uh, makeup. You got to have the measurements. You got to have the character. And then you got to have some stats. Because when they go in these rooms, they got to stand on the table for you. And when they stand on the table for you, they put their job on the line. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought that he would have to come back because of his injury history. But he strung together incredible months. He put together like four or five weeks in a row of damn. Yeah. To the point where everybody's like, well, forget all that injury shit. We'll just worry about that later. He, And then it was a weak year. But when I had that conversation with Jared at that time, he said they all were thinking about coming back. All of them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the chips fell where they made. The guy did so good. He like he has to come out. I mean, he can't. He can't. It did makes no sense for him to come back. Right. But well, pretty pretty much since the pit game, uh, the way Jalen played was was at an elite level. Like you said, four or five weeks. Uh, I think it was five where pro yeah. football focus, which you know, a lot of these NFL teams, yes, they do their own scouting and they look at all that stuff. But I know because they pay for the service, like to get the numbers, because like you said, they want the stats, right? Um, when they stand on the table and I can tell you that his stats for five games in a row were elite, which is why they're considering him a, a first round pick now, because I can tell you, I had a conversation with a scout from the San Francisco 49ers at the start of the season. And we were talking about, you know, the first game literally against UAB. We're walking in, in, in an elevator, you know, taking the elevator up to the, to the seats and in in, inside the stadium. And I'm asking him, who are you here to see? And he mentioned Bubba Bolden and he mentioned Brevin Jordan and he mentioned, uh, you know, guys that had some film 
And then I mentioned Jalen Phillips. Somebody goes, uh, is that the kid that was at UCLA and hurt his back and, uh, you know, was in that car accident thing? And, and <laughs> I mean, that's what NFL scouts were, were thinking about Jalen because he hadn't played in so long. So that was sort of the perspective on him. But uh, we're going to talk more about defensive ends and, and pass rush in, in a little bit. But just, yeah, I mean, look, in the end, Miami lost, you know, two really good pass rushers. And it's a shame that those guys aren't coming back. But, um, you know, offensively, I think this means big things for them because now that you for sure have a guy in Derek King coming back, the, the star quarterback, this has to influence other guys on offense like Brevin Jordan, like uh, Mike Harley, um, you know, your leading receivers. And, you know, I actually reached out to someone on the staff um, earlier today after Brevin, um, I mean, after Derek made his announcement and I said, does this mean Brevin and Harley also come back? And the response was, I would hope. So I'm going to flip it back to Carlos for a second. Um, right now we're looking at it, you know, from the bright side, but let's say for instance, Brevin Jordan and Mike Harley decide, well, you know what? <laughs> I, I, I think it's time to go. And, and Brevin has a good argument because he's listed as the second or third best tight end, depending on which service you look at, he's listed as the second or third best tight end available coming out. But will this sting or not mean as much if, you don't have a Brevin Jordan and Mike Harley back, Carlos, in your mind. Honestly, it'd be great to have them both back. And I think the reason why I want Harley back is because obviously his receiving core needs somebody to be a steady influence, a dependable guy that you can go to on a consistent basis. And what Harley did at the end of the season, those last three games, four games, was provide that and finally show that we had a senior leader that could actually be counted on, kind of like K.J. Osborne the year before. Um, so I'd like to see that because you don't know what you're going to get with Dee Wiggins. You don't know what you're going to get with Mark Pope. You know, Jeremiah Payton didn't do much this year. Uh, you don't know what's going to be in that receiver room. So, I mean, are you going to rely on Romello Brinson and the freshman to come in and make plays? I, I don't think so. I mean, and, and as far as Brevin's concerned, he's an elite talent, but he hasn't played enough due to injury. And I think that's one of the question marks with him. If he could come back and put together a full healthy season – and play to his potential. Now you're talking about moving from possibly the third round to the first round if this dude balls out the way he should. If he decides yeah, yeah. to leave, well, you know what? Now it's Will Mallory's turn. And every time that Brevin's been out and Will's been given an opportunity, he he plays well. Now is it, it's one, two catches and he's gone, but he makes explosive plays. And they also have the freshman tight end coming to Royal. That's, that's a baller. So you, you at least have some guys to supplement along with Larry Hodges. I don't know how good Memorelli. Dominic Memorelli is. Yeah, I don't know how good Dominic Memorelli is. But we'll see. I think I think there's potential there at the tight end spot. And, and I think there's guys that can come in and replace those those two. I would rather see them stay because the more talent you have, the better. But it's not as impactful. To me, if you would have had Harley and Brevin stay and Derek King leave, I think that would have been worse than Derek staying and those two leave. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Calvin, I guess from your perspective, do you, do you think this means that that Brevin and Harley both will be back? What does your gut tell you? Um, yeah, I mean he's playing in a bowl game, so I'm expecting him to come back. Same thing with Harley. But if we lose Harley, I'm gonna be honest with you, I like what Harley did, but if it was me, I would move Pope into the slot. Move Pope into uh, the slot. Yeah, I would move Pope into the slot because I think moving him into the slot gives him less to think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he'll be able to get the ball quicker. He's he's better uh, in space. Yeah, he's better in space. He's not a guy you throw the ball down to, as we've seen downfield, and make 50-50 balls. I mean, 50-50 yeah. catches. Yeah, that's not his thing. I think with a full spring, I think Peyton is, uh, is going to be the X factor this year, the wild card. But I really like Romello Prince. I hope he can get in early. I'd like to see Bashar Smith be able to get, get those two kids in early. Could be interesting. But, yeah, I, th- uh, I think Bashard Smith in particular is in a really good spot because I think they envision him being the slot guy and being sort of a Tyreek Hill type of, of, of talent where he reminds me a lot of Tyreek Hill where he takes the top off the defense, which is obviously very, very important for Miami's running game. You talk about the way Miami's running game was average uh, this season, better than last year, but still sort of average. And, you know, when you, when you can pull the safeties off, uh, as you've told me many times, uh, Kelvin, in our conversations, uh, that, that changes the entire complexion. And, and as you said, that's what made Alabama, Alabama. They had those two deep threats, um, you know, and Waddle um, and the other kid, uh, Devonta yeah. Smith. Yeah, they had three two years ago. They had Smith, Waddle, and Henry Ruggs, and then they had Judy, who was pretty pretty fast and could run great routes. Mm-hmm. So when they went four wides, and they had Najee Harris in the backfield, oof. Because I mean, you want to put eight in the box because you know they're going to try and run the ball, but you can't because they're running by you. And I've said this before, Clemson. In Alabama, there's two different styles you can use. Clemson uses small forwards and shooting guards at wideout, and they just out jump. Alabama, they, I don't think they did it on purpose, but they landed on the, we're just going to run right by you. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you don't have to be really physical because no one gets their hands on their guys. And you know, I think I told you, me and Lamar had a conversation about this a couple, three, four days ago. My 91 team was the blueprint for this. And I mean, me sound self, uh, whatever, but it's just reality. We were the blueprint. We ran a one back offense that everybody runs now. And we could run the ball when we needed to because you couldn't put eight guys in the box because we had. Six foot four, two hundred pound X receiver who ran a four three one and had a forty some inch vertical, 
ended up being the, 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 the Big East high jump champion. We had a Z receiver in Lamar Thomas who was 6'3", 170, but he ran like a 4'5", but he ran routes. He was Jerry Judy, basically. And then we had Kevin Williams in the slot who was running 4-2-4. So you, you try and put eight people in the box on that. Yeah. And, and Daryl Spencer, too. And Daryl Spencer, who was, a, you know, before the knee injury was a legit 4-4. He was still 4-4, 8-4-5. And the thing about it was um, Erickson – Early on, early on in every game, threw the ball deep to let you know if you stick another man in that box, we're going to bomb you like it's Hiroshima. So nobody could put eight people in the box. And we were able to – and we ran and we ran the zone running scheme like you're running now. So it's like it was the blueprint. So when I look at these offenses, I say – I compare it. And I, Alabama, the Kansas City Chiefs are doing the same thing because they have Tariq Hill in the slot. And they got Sammy Watkins. They got these other fast guys. So you got to make a decision. Are you going to put eight in the box to stop the run? Because here's a dirty little secret. Every offense is predicated on running the football. I don't, give, I, don't give, I don't care how much they throw the ball. You have to run the football. And if you stop the run, you stop the pass. Well, if you can't stop the run because you're afraid of the pass, you're afraid of the big play, you're stuck. Now it's a two-way goal. And as Kansas City has shown you, when you got a two-way goal, you got that type of talent, it's it's almost impossible to sit down. And I think next year, let's just say they all come back. There, you know, we could open up a game with Will Mallory, Reverend George, uh, and Mike Harley, and then all right, D. Wiggins. So and, and we haven't talked about this, but I don't think Cam believes it either. So we're going to have all the running backs back, all the receivers back, the entire line back, and the quarterback in the same offense for two straight years. Well, That's I was going to mention that um, really quick and jump in when you brought bringing back the offense two straight years because – that's one element that I don't think people think of enough is that Rhett Lashley having a second year to run this offense with the Eric, uh, just to show an example of some of the improvement that he made at his last stop at SMU. Uh, they went from averaging 30 points a game his first year to 41, almost 42 points a game his second year. Um, you know, the offense was uh, averaging, I think, uh, 5.3 yards a play his first year. They, they were averaging 6.1. Uh, the second year. So um, when you're able to stay in the system for two years, doesn't matter how simplified the offense is, which is, you know, this is a pretty simple offense. It's not very um, diverse. He, he basically runs the same plays and tricks you when he, when he, when he, when he throws the counter at you or he throws something uh, different, you know, play action for instance. Um, but for the most part, it's the same, same formation, same routes for a lot of the kids. And I just think, the execution is going to be a lot better because you'll have a second year and you're going to have a spring, hopefully a, a full spring football where you can develop some of these guys versus not having that a year ago. So they should definitely make a jump, I would think. And, and I think there's two big reasons for that. Remember, number one, De'Ara King had never really run a, a zone read offense. Remember, he talked about that all exactly. year. Exactly. This yeah. was his first year running zone read. He finally got a little more acclimated to it towards the end of the year. Now he's going to have a second year in that. And number and two, a spring. And, and a spring. spring. And I think this is the, the bigger key for Lashley himself and one of the reasons why the offense was up and down. He had to figure out where these guys fit best within the scheme. 
Yeah. So who was best at the go routes? Who was best playing underneath? Who was best running the wide zone, inside zone? Which offensive linemen were better at pulling or staying home? So that he had to he had to learn this to be able to be more effective and efficient with his play calling. And I think now that he's had a full year with this team, he's seen everybody, he knows their skill sets, and everybody's adapted to the offense, that's going to have them take another jump as well. Now – one thing we we have so many people I asked for questions before we, we recorded this podcast. I said, all right, let me let me open things up, see uh, what what's on people's minds. And, and of course, they're excited about the King coming back. It, you know, who, who wouldn't be if you're a Miami fan? Um, Most people are. Let me tell you, my friends that pee on the parade all the time. <laughs> I already started peeing on the parade. Oh, yeah, that's great. We won't look that bad against Alabama next year. I'm like, look, dude, you're like the guy that wins a freaking lottery. And complains about having to pay taxes. I'm like, shut up and enjoy the moment, for God's sake. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I got people talking about, and when are they going to fire the whole defensive staff? Why aren't we bringing in Charlie Strong? <laughs> hey, man, shut the hell. Well, Come on, I, that that's what I wanted to get to because I think that's the number one uh, question. People are obviously excited, uh, you know, about about King coming back. You know, could he have a chance at the Heisman? All those kind of things. But the number one question yes. I get repeatedly is, are they going to get a new DC? Um, so no, no. stop now. that. No. <laughs> well, I, I'll let you go first. Uh, why don't you tell us why you think it won't happen, Kelvin? Because it's a group deal, for one. I mean, who uh, do people think that uh, Blake Baker's in a phone booth and he's got on some headphones and you know, head reached out by his office? Like, hey, I just wanted to you know, hey, get the hell out of here. I don't want to hear anything. No, this is a group deal. These guys have known each other for a long time. They've all been around Manny. It's, it's a group deal. Also, we had an entire month where our defensive line didn't have a D-line coach. Our safety didn't have a safeties coach. We had GAs and analysts coaching them. Hmm. I mean, come on, stop. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the players have to take some credit for the success and for the failure. Uh, but as a staff, not just at our school, but at a lot of schools, these staffs are saying, we can just get a full spring practice with a full staff without anybody having COVID. The improvement is going to be incredible. I mean, this is every staff thinking, the ones that are getting to come back. And yeah, I know people, for whatever reason, don't like Blake, but um, I'm just going to go back to the Clemson game. That fourth down play. That, you know, I the fact that Roche was in position to make the pick, even though I still don't agree with the outside, that lets you know that they did a good job of scouting. I mean, we make adjustments. Now, do I agree with you know, you know every call? No. But I also understand that defensive football nowadays is not like it used to be. I mean, uh, most teams are fundamentally unsound because everybody's trying to be the next guru. And I think, you know, they try and confuse kids with all these uh, 
jump defenses. When realistically, if you got two guys like Phillips and Roche who can just get at the pass, and you got another guy inside that can get at the pass, that makes your defense that much better because you can put seven guys in coverage and you get to the quarterback with four. That's the idea. Jimmy Johnson gave everybody the blueprint. Go find four werewolves who can get to the quarterback and um, a strong side linebacker that can cover slots and tight ends and play the run, and two safeties that can play the hash, corners that can play man. It's not a, it's not, not rapid science. Mm-hmm. Um, now Blake, everybody is like, well, Blake brought in his four through five defense. No, that's that's what was going to happen regardless because that's what happened to the game. I had this discussion with an alumni guy. He's like, man, we bring this defense. Why we why we can't do this with three linebackers? Because no one does it with three linebackers. Well, Bama don't do that. Yes, Bama does. You know, as a matter of fact, if you look at the NFL now, there's about six teams that play a four-two-five. Now, am I, you know, hey, I grew up in a different era, and you know, I understand why they're doing it because the game is changing, and we made the changes with the game. Now we got to fit the personnel to the defense. And I think um, Frierson made me apologize to him because I didn't think he was a serious – I didn't think he took the game serious as he did. And he had a great year. Um, I think Corey Flagg would have eventually become our starting linebacker if COVID hadn't you know, derailed him. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Sam Brooks. Um, I don't think Bradley Jennings will be the starter next year. I wouldn't be surprised if Bradley Jennings is a transfer. Because I think that... From your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> <laughs> he's not a bad player. I just think that he's coming back from a serious injury. And I just think he has... Uh, has some, he doesn't trust his instincts right Because... Um, I don't think his body is allowing him to trust his instincts. I don't think, me personally, I don't think he's 100%. I think, you know, he, he looks like he can go straight ahead good, but side to side. And I don't, I, I, I don't have any explanation for that cloud because I'm confused. I just thought that. Yeah, that was shocking. All you were shocking. I, and I think it shocked the staff too because you're talking about a great kid and he just did not perform at a high level. And realistically, we probably should have put Sam Brooks in there and rode with him, but then he gets COVID. You get what I'm saying? Um, and then Avery Huff, everybody's a, like, well, why isn't Avery Huff? Look, kids uh, develop at different rates. He didn't have a spring practice. He probably needed those 15 practices. I think this time, or in August, a lot of these kids will be looking at them differently if they're allowed to get 15 practices in the spring. Yeah, I, I uh, agree with that. I, I agree, Kelvin. I think all of that are, are great points. Um, I think, you know, to me, Manny put his trust in in um, McLeod and, and thought Jennings would be okay and thought, you know, I think he believed in his mind that those guys would come in and be able to handle the situation. Um, you relied on older guys that have been there yeah, for a while. He, 
he relied on those older guys, knowing Shaq and Pinkney were going to leave eventually. He relied on those guys and said, okay, I, I, I'm going to trust that they're going to come in and do a good job. But the reality is that was without question the most disappointing part of the team this season was the linebacker play. They, they, they were the most underwhelming. And I think, you know, it, it's put Blake in hot water in the sense of Blake Baker, in the sense of from, from the fan perspective that, hey, we need to make a change. We need to get him out of here. You can't give him 62 points. North Carolina looked that poor. And, you know, fans look at it as, well, they didn't make any adjustments. You know, they were running the ball down our throats. I know you've you've made the point in the past, Kelvin, and, and, and Carlos, you know, you and I have talked about it. Um, Miami was so terrified, I think, of, of North Carolina throwing deep that it was just one of those deals where they, you were going to get burned either way, I think, against North Carolina. That doesn't justify the performance, but it just, I think, making sense of it, why, why things weren't, why things were never sort of solved against North Carolina. That's the reason why. And I think going into next season though, I still think that there could be changes on the staff. And I reached out to somebody on the staff and asked, Hey, do you think there will be changes? What does your gut tell you? And their response was yes. Um, there's but, changes every year, but there's exactly. And I, and I think, you know, it, you know, getting into the different relationships between those guys. Uh, number one, we know, Mike Rumpf, who's, you know, national champion and, and first round pick, et cetera. You know, he's a guy who everybody automatically points a finger to and says, well, he's not doing his job because he's not recruiting the best uh, cornerbacks in the country. And those guys are going to Alabama and, and Georgia and they're not coming here. And so they automatically point the finger at him. I would say, I don't know how much Manny Diaz necessarily blames him for all of that, but I would say, I think, you know, just from a chemistry perspective, I think, you know, he's kind of the outsider of that group because he didn't, he didn't coach with Manny until Manny came here. Um, you know, the other guys on the staff were with Manny in other places. And so we'll see, we'll see what kind of changes take place. Um, we've well, there is one little caveat to that. Go ahead. <laughs> Chief of staffs happens to be a classmate teammate uh-huh. of that guy. Right. And, when you're trying to get rid of someone on your staff, mm-hmm. especially someone who is, you know, not just uh, an alumni, but is on the wall, right, every day in practice, mm-hmm. was a part of the greatest team in the history of college football, and has developed corners for you. Mm-hmm. The next guy you bring in. What would be Dion? <laughs> right. I mean, it, it's it's a tough situation. Now, I know there's uh, there's a couple of little situations that are going on. The guy that I think, if I had to you know, point a finger, that I I wouldn't be surprised to see the be Banda because, because I think Banda wants to uh, be a defense coordinator, and he's not calling plays. I mean, he might have, like, co-coordinator and title, but it's Baker's job. So I know he's getting some interest from uh, Utah State. I wouldn't be surprised if he took the job. Mm-hmm. Well, Although if, if it was me, I wouldn't take it because living in Miami, making three, 400000 living in Utah, making a couple hundred grand, eh, I don't know if his wife's going to go for that one. 
All right, gentlemen. So we got more questions here off of Twitter that I want to get to. Uh, this one comes from Island Keynes. Uh, if Bolden returns as well, adding depth to our safety room, is it possible Avante Williams has slid over to cornerback? He played some in high school, and there was questions about him playing cornerback at the next level when he was coming out. Um, I think as far as the safety position is concerned, that, that is another one that is extremely interesting because you have three guys that played a ton this year in, in Amari Carter, Bubba Bolden, and Gervin Hall. And while Bubba had his moments and he made second team all ACC, um, I certainly think there were moments he could have been better as well, where he was out of position, he missed tackles. Um, That's why he's coming back. Yeah, I, I think if he does return – um, that's a good thing from him. If he doesn't return, then I then I can see some issues at safety because um, he was their best safety and he was better than both uh, Gervin and Amari. Um, well, well, you can't really blame Amari. Amari only played like one quarter of every game, so I mean, it's hard hard to make an impact when you're missing three quarters of a game. <laughs> well, that that's that's the whole point, right? Um, I I guess this means what do you do in the secondary? Do you shuffle people around? I look at it this way: safety is the hardest to me, the hardest position on defense to play um, because of how much you have to communicate with the linebackers and, and everybody in the front and, and, you know, in the secondary. And it's really going to be really hard for a freshman anyway in, in Avante Williams or um, even James Williams coming in to play right away at, at the safety positions. They got to learn so much. And if Ephraim Banda leaves for Utah State, uh, or some other job, and, and he's not around, that's going to make the transition only tougher. I, I don't know what to answer for the safety question other than, as you've mentioned before, Kelvin, Outblade should probably be safety and not a cornerback, right? I mean, in terms of his speed. That would be a good move, but I got to be honest with you, with this myocarditis, I don't even know if he'll ever play again. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a question mark. Mm-hmm. But if he does play, and I I think even if Bolden does come back, you got to look at maybe making him safety. I think with the way Manny's been recruiting on defense and the de- and the defensive secondary for the last couple of years, I think what you're going to see is kind of like what Eric Spolster is doing with positionless basketball. I think he's just going to put out the best five DBs he can, regardless of position, and then figure it out after that and put as much speed as he can. And I think you're looking at, and I'm counting the striker within those five. So you could see maybe three safeties uh, and two corners, or you could see two safeties, a co- two corners and the striker and see just what blends best. And specifically also, it depends on the type of team you're going up against, how he packages that. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10 
$10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Well, that goes back to what I was saying about new age football. That's the new thing. That's not something that Manny, that's just how it's going now. People are doing that. And they're customizing their defense to what they're playing against. So, the first thing they do is they see if a kid can play corner and then they adjust it from there. So every kid gets tried at corner and we, we move from there. Um, this is from Brett Golov, uh, who follows me on Twitter. He often sends me questions. What will be the progression for Ed Reed in season two? Will he take on recruiting uh, safeties and DBs? Will he have a coaching position? Here's my thought on Ed immediately and, and, I just think the chief of staff job is perfect for what he wants because he still wants to be home and in Louisiana when he wants to be. He still wants to be, you know, kind of flying in like vulturing when he needs to vulture, you know, like doing uh, doing what he wants. I think when you're assistant coach, you got to be out on the road recruiting, which obviously this year nobody had to do um, because of the Zoom and, and, you know, COVID and everybody just did everything through Zoom. But I think going forward, assuming you know, this COVID issue is eventually resolved with uh, these vaccines. Um, then, you know, those guys are going to have to be out on the road again, recruiting. And I just don't think that's an Ed's character. I think he likes being sort of the quote unquote GM, a guy who can swoop in and, um, you know, sort of talk to Manny when Manny needs to be spoken to about stuff and give him advice. And um, I, I just don't think, you know, full-time coaching is what he wants uh, it just doesn't seem like what he would do. Uh, am I right, Kelvin? Or what? How, what's your uh, read on the situation? I can't see. Ed makes Ed's got too much money to be a coach. I mean, too too much money, too much freedom, too much um, cachet to just be pigeonholed into being a coach, and not even a coordinator. I mean, come on, that ain't gonna work. Right. And he and he has input, you know, he has input with the defensive coaches. He, he obviously sees stuff. He will say things. Um, he just can't directly coach the kids. Uh, you know, he can have conversations with them, but he can't be out on the field coaching. That's part of the chief of staff uh, rules. Um, here's another good one. This one's from uh, Magic Buck it says, uh, which incoming freshmen have to contribute right away? Um, Carlos, I guess the question is, it's a twofold question. Which freshman could physically contribute right away are they ready to contribute right away um and then you know which positions right leonard taylor's a good one Uh, that was my answer right away yeah which which positions really need the help i mean those that's why i think it's more like a two-prong question what do you think carlos well i think physically obviously james williams is ready to play in the nfl right now that dude is a monster so (laughs) physically i mean that's the guy you would say but i think as far as positions are concerned i think like calvin said leonard taylor and i also think maybe lauren seymour because of the struggles of the offensive line. If that dude could play guard right now 
and you can line him up on day one. If he's ready to go physically, then I'd say that guy's got a shot. But I think Leonard Taylor's got a really good shot to start right away just because we're we're a little thin at that defensive tackle spot, and we haven't had a dominant defensive tackle since Gerald Willis left. Yeah, um, I could say I could say standing next to Leonard Taylor when I went to the Palmetto signing day, and I'll, I'll let you go in a second, uh, Kelvin, but okay. I, I, I was standing next to that dude. He is 6'5", 300 pounds, and he is a monster, like just, just standing next to – and it's a difference because I've been at Kane's practices. <laughs> I've stood next to Nesta. Okay, I've stood next to these other dudes, and I'm like, this guy is just on another planet. Um, he's a good sized kid, but mm-hmm. Nesta and Harrison Hunt will probably be the starters, depending on what Ford does. Because, mm-hmm. uh, well, Harrison Hunt, I think, is going to be a superstar because he can pass rush. And the way the game is going, if you can pass rush at defensive tackle, you can get paid. And Nestor showed some signs this year of being dominant. So I expect him to come back next year and be dominant. I think Nestor was a little consistent this year. He was he was up and down. He was good. He was really good. When he was bad, he was like he disappeared. And John Ford was I was just telling us, uh, I was telling Mike and, and Manny before we came on air. He was like the groundhog. Paul took it pat. Like, you didn't know when he was going to show up. Is he going to pop up this year or not? I mean, like every game, it was like, what John Ford are we going to get? John Ford has a lot of ability, potential. But you know what potential means? He ain't done shit. (laughs) Exactly. So um, he has to be definitely more consistent. And he has to want to be a run stopper because that's how he's going to make his living in the NFL. He can't, he's not a pass rusher. So he's got to become a dominant force in the run. And I haven't seen him. He's had games. He had a couple games at the end of the year after he lost his spot where that was the John Ford we need. But we need that for 15 games next year. And we need that, you know, to come and show up all, all game long every game. But if Ford comes back and is playing at a high level, along with Nesta and Harrison Hunt, and you throw Leonard Taylor in, that's a hell of a defensive tackle combination. And you forgot about Jordan Miller as well. Jordan Miller's another guy. And Jordan Miller and the Dancing Bear, because the Dancing Bear ain't bad. Shalar Holly, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, for sure, you're going to have Andre Borgales kick because his brother is going to the NFL. So he will be your kicker as far as freshman contributions. He will be the guy. Um, And then, you know, I I agree with Carlos that I think offensive line, you have a possibility where a guy like Seymour could come in and be a part immediately of that rotation. Maybe he doesn't start day one uh, because I could see Ja'Kai Clark and uh, DJ Scaife, assuming he comes back. Uh, winning those jobs just because they have the starting experience, but certainly it could be one of those situations where halfway through all of a sudden you're like, well, that Lawrence Seymour kid sure looks good. And the next thing you know, he's in there and he's playing in some meaningful, meaningful games down the stretch. So I think you might see DJ Scape transfer because let me tell you something. And I don't know if Ja'Kai Clark starts again next year with Jalen Rivers having another year under his belt. I think he's ready to start Isaiah Walker coming off, uh, you know, the one year we had to sit out. And, uh, you know, Navon Donaldson coming back fully healthy. I think DJ Scaife and Ja'Kai Clark are the odd man out. And as much as I hate to say it, because Ja'Kai Clark is the poor man's Kelvin Harris, 
but you know he's he's not at the bench. <laughs> well, <laughs> poor yeah. man's Kelvin Harris. I like that. Hey, hey no, nah, you know I just kind of remind myself a little bit. But I'll say this: all those guys are gonna look better next year if Keyshawn Smith or Bashard Smith can catch some deep passes because we just got out outnumbered a lot. Now, Scaife was – he was inconsistent somewhat, but him and Williams do a great job of combo blocking together in the run game on a lot of those plays. Um, we're going to be 10 deep. I don't, I don't see any of the offensive linemen that we signed playing because um, technique-wise, it's tough. Now, I will say this big baby has been – a monster ever since he was like 10 years old. But I would be too if I was like 6'2, 300 pounds at 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has been big baby for a long time. The problem, the problem there is um you got Nervon coming back, you got Jakai, you got Scape, you got Rivers. And then, you know, more than likely, I think Jared Williams comes back at right tackle. Uh, then you got uh, Isaiah Walker, Zion at left tackle. Isaiah Walker will be eligible, but he won't. He won't start. Um, I mean, but we got depth, and I think I told Garrens, I told him his biggest problem next year is trying to keep everybody happy. But the one guy that I would not be surprised to see possibly move transfer maybe is John Campbell because I know he wants to be a left tackle. I really like what I saw of him at left guard last year when he subbed in for uh, Nervon. But Zion's not going anywhere left tackle and if Jared comes back at right tackle I mean your spots are pretty much taken. So if you're him you got to make a decision. Do you want to fight through it? Or do you want to transfer? And, you know, I don't know the kid's uh, mindset. Um, he's a little bit on, he's, he's on social media a little bit too much for me. But, hey, it's a new generation. But I do like his ability. I just don't think he's a left tackle. I think he could be a really good right tackle. I think he'd be an excellent guard. I think he could be an all-pro guard. Because he just looked really good last year at guard when he went in for uh, – Nervon. And the but, one spot we're not talking about is center because we everybody thinks, you know, Corey Gaynor's locked in there because he's been the starter for so long. But Kelvin, you know, you being an offensive lineman, you being a former center, how good is Corey Gaynor really? Um, he's pretty good now. He had some moments this year, like the guy from North Carolina State is going to be a high draft pick. And that guy is just, just a, a load. And he, um, he had his hands full against that guy. And this past game, I saw something. I was kind of shocked that kid from North Carolina locked him out and made a great play because normally he does a pretty good job on one-on-one blocks. He's extremely mobile. Get out. But um, the North Carolina game, man, everybody did stuff that was uncharacteristic. But he is uh, hes the anchor of the line right now. Uh, he's leader. He's, um, I think maybe he needs to get a little bit stronger. 
he's probably going to put in maybe maybe four or five pounds in the offseason. Um, and then I guess if I were telling him something to work on, it would definitely be trying to get your one-on-one run blocking. Take that to another level. Because, you know, great centers are able to, you know, just neutralize a one technique. And if you can if you can block that one technique, you don't without having to have a, a slip block, which is where the guard and the center combo and the guard rubs off to the second level, where you could just go straight off at the backer and know that your your center can neutralize the one technique. That makes your running game that much better. But I know the offensive line coach likes him. Um, he's played pretty well. He did, like I said, have a couple moments, but he's gonna get some preseason uh, preseason recognition, I think, next year. Now it's just a question of does he work hard enough to go to the next level? And I, I think all indication is, yeah, he does. Scaife kind of surprised me because he had been solid. He's been up and down, but I think. When we go into spring practice this year, if we're able to have all 15 practices, I think all those guys are going to work out the rough edges and we'll be okay. Uh, I think the one guy that's really got something that he's going to, you know, he's going to have to really fight is Zion because Nervon started 30-some games, and he just ain't going to just sit there and lay down and take it. He's trying to get his spot back. So if – you know, and he was the left guard. So obviously, Zion or uh, Jakai is going to be on the hot seat. So it'd be interesting. But it's a great problem to have. You got nine guys that can start. That's a good deal. That means that you can get rotation play during the um, during the game. And we haven't even talked about Cleveland Reed, who I know. Uh, um, Garen likes, you know, physically he's the type of guy you're looking for. He's 6'3", 325. He's strong. He can run block. And now that they've taught him how to play center, his mentality is going to be better because he has a better understanding of the game because he's sitting from the middle. So we got a lot of talent. Um, but honestly, if we don't find a deep threat, our running game is going to be stifled next year because people are just going to stack the box because they're not afraid of getting beat deep. And that is a big deal. Because you got to get some face. You got to get some room. Yeah. There were uh, – I, I haven't put out the second part of my uh, report card yet where I'm going to focus in on the offensive line and the defensive line because uh, I'm still doing some statistical numbers and we had Christmas and everything else. I had to pull that prank on my kids, by the way. I don't know if I shared that. Yeah, very, Grinch, very Grinch of you. <laughs> very Grinch of me, the prank I pulled on them for, for waking up too early on Christmas Day. But um, I, I can tell you from doing some of the analytics, and again, I, I I always preface any of the comments that I make when it comes to analytics, especially when it comes to the offensive line play, that as Kelvin has pointed out many times, you don't know the exact assignments of what everybody's supposed to do. That said, Football Outsiders um, comes up with, you know, based on situational running, situational passing, they come out with numbers and and you know what you average per carry, etc. You know how many times you get sacked, etc. Um, Miami's stuff rate means meaning the times that 
players were either hit at the line of scrimmage or hit in the backfield. Okay, ball carriers in running situations. Ranked 93rd. Last year, they were 105th. So slight improvement as far as how often they were winning the battles up front and not allowing guys to get in the backfield. And then the, the one area where there was significant improvement, which is something they call power success rate, which means power running situations where you short yardage, you know, you're trying to pick up the first down. Miami went from 129th last year to 39th. So that was a drastic improvement as far as the run game is concerned. But, um, you know, overall, the, the yards per carry, I mean, your leading rusher doesn't even have 600 yards yet rushing. Um, those are kind of like, okay, yeah, you, you guys didn't do a great job running the ball. They were better, certainly better against, uh, you know, as far as pass blocking is concerned. In fact, I, these are my numbers off of the pro football focus, okay? Like how often the offensive line was responsible for pressures, 59%. That means, you know, the tight end, the quarterback, the running back, in terms of what pro football focus put down as far as, you know, who was responsible for the pressure that was put on the quarterback, uh, only 59%. Last year was over 75. So, you know, they did a better job, at least as far as, you know, what these guys who, who, who break down the analytics say. Um, there were improvements in, in more significantly in pass protection versus uh, the running game. But, you know, that's that's – what we, you were kind of hoping for it, right? You know, when Gary and Justice took over, you're like, well, be average or be be better than you were last year. And they were. Now it's can they take the next step? And as Kelvin pointed out, having some reliable deep threats that the defense has to think about should help the running game. So we'll see. Guys, we're going to wrap this up. Um, I appreciate you jumping on. I know it's a Saturday. And um, obviously Christmas was yesterday. People are busy, have a lot of things to do. But I want to thank both of you, Carlos, and Kelvin for uh, jumping on and, and doing this uh, podcast with me today. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be on, man. Thank you. All right, guys. So the bowl game is Tuesday, December 29th. Miami, of course, in the Cheez-It Bowl in Orlando. They will be taking on Oklahoma State, who's 7-3. and three. We'll come back with another podcast after the bowl game. But for now, that's our show. Thanks for tuning in to Wide Right. I'm Manny Navarro for Carlos Ledo, for Kelvin Harris, my producer, Mike Zimmerman. We will talk to you again soon. 305-954-568. This is the state of Miami. Y'all know y'all come down there.